It's 10.24, Friday morning, BBC Radio Scotland, Stephen Jordan with you until midday. Twelve months ago, artist Ellie Harrison made nationwide headlines with her latest art project. Ellie was granted £15,000 by Creative Scotland to spend a year living in Glasgow without leaving the city boundaries. The Glasgow Effect project was intended to provoke and pose difficult questions about life in the city, but critics branded it a waste of public cash. Twelve months on, the project is now at an end, and this weekend, Ellie will reveal some of the results. But first, she's here to speak to us this morning. Good morning, Ellie. Thanks for your time. Hiya. Thanks for coming in. So a year ago, turn the clock back, 12 months ago, what was the plan? Oh, the plan for the year. I mean, <laughs> the, it was a research project. So it was very much that it was going to unfold over the course of the year. Um, and it has done. So I wasn't... When, so the when, plan was there was no plan. Let's see when, what happens. When the chips hit the fan as I like to call it, um, you know, I didn't want to do a lot of media, I didn't want to talk to people about this this, this uh, great idea that I had. I wanted to get my head down and start work, working in my studio, but also getting out and meeting people in the city and starting working on, on lots of local projects here. So I went undercover. Like, that was the... Way I wanted to do it. That was the sort of work that that's a, that's how I wanted to contribute my time and my energy to this city, um, and that was the only way I could realistically do it in the face of of that of that social media storm. Right. So tell me, the, the, why Glasgow, and why did you call it the Glasgow effect? Well, why Glasgow? Because I live here. Like I think there were so many myths that were bounded about at the beginning of the year that I was just being parachuted in from London. I've been living here since 2008, so this is my home city. Um, and the reason I... The, you know, the, the project was trying to address the conflicts and contradictions that I felt in my life living here because I've been living here, but I wasn't working here. I was working in Dundee, so I was doing this huge commute across the country uh, two times a week. Um, most of the commissions or invitations that I got as an artist were in other cities or abroad. I was doing a lot of travelling that in that respect. My parents are down in London. Um, I've got a continual pull to to you know take responsibility, be a good daughter, look after them. My niece and nephew, my sister, they're all in Norwich. So it just felt like Everything that I was doing was outside of this city. Why the hell was I living here? Did I really know this city? And was I actually investing any of my time, my energy, my ideas, the skills that I've acquired through all the education that I've had in making it a better place? So that was um, the, the, the contradiction that the, the project was founded on. Um, but I chose the title, The Glasgow Effect, because... You know, I'd been living here for five years. In 2013, I first heard that phrase. And to, ha to have been living here for five years and to only just come across that, which is actually, you know, the dominant narrative for most people who live in this city, to me, that was just a symbol of what a divided city this is. Because I came here because of this other catchphrase, you could say, called the Glasgow Miracle. And the Glasgow miracle is all about, you know, that's the PR story that they want you to hear. That's the story that tells you that 
this there's been a post-industrial renaissance in the city. We're a city of culture. We have like international art stars, and that that is raising the living standards of everybody in the city. It's not happening. It's just creating more polarization and more division. And you can see that because if you go around the galleries in this city, how much art do you see? in the big galleries that are publicly funded, which is actually dealing with, with the, real, the real narrative of the city. So it was a big challenge to the art world. And it was also an opportunity for me to start to find out more about why Glasgow does have the worst health inequalities in the whole of Western Europe and to get to, get to the bottom of why, that, why that's happening, but also... <laughs> Most importantly, to invest my time, energy and skills in trying to improve the situation for the poorest people in this city. So uh, on a very basic level, the £15,000 grant gave you a year off time and space to take a year off work and explore that and see what life was like in Glasgow without leaving the city boundaries for a year. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely in a nutshell. But the way I framed it to create Scotland so that I could get the money, and, you know, I did lead them on slightly in that I called the project Think Global, Act Local, which is a phrase that is borrowed from Patrick Geddes, a famous Scottish thinker, which implies that if we're going to be able to live and to deal with global challenges like climate change then we need to start to think much more locally about shortening supply chains and building stronger local economies so that we don't have to travel so far. So I called it that. That was a very sort of benign-sounding name. It enabled me to get the funds, but I knew all along that I was going to change the name. Um, and I also framed it so it would be a durational performance, and it has been, um, in the in in the fact that I haven't been in a vehicle still since the thirty first of December, twenty fifteen, so over a year now, and so I've slashed my carbon footprint, my own carbon footprint, from three and a half tons, which is how much I produced in twenty fifteen, to zero, and I ha that just making that change to my lifestyle has enabled me to live my values. I am living the way in which I believe society needs to change in order to enable us well, to, to, to preserve a climate on this planet where our species can continue to survive. Which is a perfect moment to say not everyone is able to do that because they're not getting grants from uh, Creative Scotland. Like the people who are out and about there just now, let's check what's happening with the travel. Here's Teresa. Oh, Stephen, very well done. <laughs> There's a high wind warning on the A87 Sky Bridge in Cooper. Do expect delays on the A91 Bonnygate in both, to get, uh, both directions at Crossgate through the roadworks area. Edinburgh, Lanark Road, the A70, those delays have eased through the roadworks at Gillespie. Be crossroads, the traffic lights are back in action. Expect some delays in Broxburn on the A89 at Newhouses Road. There are roadworks here, so they will slow you down in both directions. And Motherwell, still a wee bit of slow moving traffic on Airbles Road just at Chestnut Grove. Now, Airbles Road is closed near Leven Street for emergency gas works, so there will be some problems um, through rush hour. And on the ferries, Calmax Largs Cumbry Slip is running again, but there may be some delays, and that's BBC Radio Scotland travel. 10.31 on a Friday morning on BBC Radio Scotland. I'm speaking to Ellie Harris 
Robertson, uh, the Glasgow Effect project at an end. It was controversial. We'll get onto that in a second. Here's Ben from Dundee on the text. This project was an artistic success from the first week because she got people talking about her project and what it entailed, as well as art, artists, and what the role of an artist is in a contemporary society. That's from Ben in Dundee there. More on that in a second. But Ellie, in terms of what you actually did over the course of the 12 months, how did you spend your time? What was the day like? What did you do? Did you Every day, did you have a plan, I'm going to do this? Or did you just let the city soak you up? Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was quite overwhelming at the beginning of the year um, to cope with all of, you know, because I don't think anybody appreciates that. Actually, I'm a, a one-woman band. And I was listening to the phone-in you did earlier about the work-life balance because I've got a lot to say about that, so we could talk about that later. So it took... It, the All I could do at the beginning of the year to try to sort of get a bit of normality in a very abnormal situation was just to stick to my little routine of going into my studio, which is in the East End, Um Processing everything that had happened and... Uh, Did you keep start- a diary? Was that part of it? I've got, yeah, I've got six of these notebooks. I've got so many things that have come out. It was incredibly stressful um, first few months, but and, and so much anger, I guess, that was thrown at me, which I just processed, you know, I just processed that and I, I, th- I thought about what it meant and I've, I've, I've used that to fuel fuel the project in positive directions. So I think, like, one of the first things that... I think around March time, um, I started to meet a few people who were interested in the sort of things that I was interested in developing in this city because before I did this project and what I've been doing for the last five um, or six years is that I've I've really been experimenting with a practice that crosses crosses over between art and activism. So I was actually on um, the Kay Adams programme on the 21st of November talking about the renationalisation of the railways because as well as um, doing my art practice, I also run the National Bring Back British Rail campaign. Um, So obviously I have a passion for public transport and I believe that improving public transport is a way of not only... Um, addressing social problems, if you can get high-quality bus routes to the poorest people, poorest and most marginalised people in our society, then that's going to do a lot to improve their quality of life. But it's also going to address environmental problems. So, you know, shifting people off the roads and onto more sustainable forms of travel. So actually being... Um, trapped in Glasgow for a year and actually localising all of my journeys. I read this really interesting um, report from the Equality Trust about how actually public transport subsidy itself was rigged towards more privileged people in our society. Um, In the the railways, people who travel longer distances are largely more privileged people and the railways get far more subsidy compared to the buses. And the buses in Glasgow are in an absolute shambles and that was something that I knew before the Glasgow Fed started and that was something that I wanted to do my best to try to address because even in the last year we've had maybe four or five bus routes that have been cut and those cuts are affecting the poorest people in the city that's going to do nothing to improve their mental health and it's going to do nothing to improve if, their quality of that, life. If you knew that before starting this project why did you have to take £15,000 from Creative Scotland to spend a year thinking about it if you knew it? 
well, this this relates to your phoning before the work-life balance. You know, the slogan, the PR slogan for this city is people make Glasgow. I have reworded that to say I think people are either too busy or they're too disempowered to make Glasgow. And I was in the too busy category. I could see all these problems in this city, but I was always having to jump on a train to go and earn a, uh, earn, earn a living elsewhere to be able to address them. So absolutely, I knew, I've got a list in a notebook from 2014. I've got a list of all of these projects and campaigns that I knew would make a positive impact on the people in the city's lives. But I just had no time or or resources to be able to do that. You said to me that uh, people had been angry about this project. Did you expect the anger? Well, I'm going to go... I'm doing a talk on Sunday about the project at the GFT um, at 12 o'clock. And I guess... The thing that I'm, I'm going to talk about a lot more of the complexities of, 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 of how it started during the talk, but I think I did... You know, the project was founded on contradictions. That's the way I'm describing it. Um, and the contradictions that I've explained, that, you know, I was living here, but was I, I was barely even here. I was coming back to my base here, um, but I was contributing very little to, to, to the community. Um, so... The fact that it was founded on these contradictions, in hindsight, it doesn't seem any surprise to me that it totally exploded in the way that it did. Um, because that's the reality of life for most people. I live in Edinburgh, but I work here. Lots of people live somewhere but have to work somewhere else. That's life. Yeah. Well, I'm challenging that way of life because that way of life is not sustainable. And actually, commuting distances are increasing and they continue to increase. You know, in a globalised world, our goods, our services, our people are having to travel further distances. And with that comes huge uh, increase in carbon emissions. But that's not why Creative Scotland gave you the grant, Ellie. They gave you the grant to live in Glasgow for a year and understand the health inequalities and what makes the problems that Glasgow has exist. That's why you got the grant. I don't think that was in my application, actually. Have you read my funding no, application? No, I haven't. No, because, I, no, I mean... But that's what the Glasgow effect is. Yeah, so... It, yeah, but social environmental problems are totally interlinked. And, you know, one of... I was happy to draw attention to my own privilege in the way that I did. I see that as a success because it's privileged people who are causing climate change. 50% of the world's carbon emissions are made by just 10% of the world's population. That is a massive injustice. Inequality is growing to astronomical proportions in Scotland and across, in, and across the world. These things are totally interlinked. And unless we address both social and environmental problems at the same time, then we're, we're at, frankly, we're doomed. You, your critics say, Ellie, that this has been, the 12-month project has been a poverty safari, that there are people in Glasgow today living on less than £15,000 a year, not because of art, but because that's their life. They have no choices around any of this stuff. What do you say to that? Um, well, I would say, 
£15,000. I didn't live off £15,000. I lived off 8400 of the £15,000 and I invested the rest of the money in the projects that I have been developing. So actually, £8,400 over the course of a year is a pretty low income. Talk to me about that. How hard was that? Well, I mean, the the lifestyle that I'm living, I think... I did, you know, I was under so much public scrutiny at the beginning of the year that I I have quite obsessive tendencies anyway. So I obsessively started to keep every single receipt for every single thing that I bought for the whole year. So I've got that, you know, I've got all of that data. Well, every packet of crisps, every cup of coffee, everything. Every portion of chips. I've got a receipt for every single one. And, like... I had that data because I'm really interested in transparency and accountability. And when you have a publicly owned organisation, as with the railways, then it then it could then it is a more transparent and accountable organisation. So I was kind of imposing that on myself. You know, I felt like I'd taken that public money, so I became publicly owned. I need to be totally transparent and totally accountable. But things are different when you're just talking about one individual. Like, do I really want to publish all this material so that people know exactly where? It, where I live and can come and burn my house down or whatever else. Um, So actually what I did do, uh, which I found was quite an interesting way of using this data in a positive way, was because I've been following the population health um, research and debate a lot very closely this year, I've been going to all the Glasgow Centre for Population Health seminars, and one in June was about the secret lies of low-income households, and they were looking... They're doing a new study called the Finwell Study, which will be published next uh, summer, and they were looking for participants. So I actually signed up to that. So for the last six months, I've been having regular meetings with this researcher who's got access to all of my personal finances to look at how my lifestyle impacts on my well-being. But the most important thing I want to say is that my lifestyle, the lifestyle that I've been able to live on this low income, is, you know, that's a, I've, I've chosen that. I have chosen that, and it's very different from somebody who's having to do that. So that's that's another um, thing that I would like to draw attention to because it is possible to live on a low income, uh, as I have done, and have a good quality of life. But I and think good it, diet as well. Uh, well, a good diet, absolutely, because the, the cheapest food, you know, I just buy bags of lentils and soak them and it costs two quid and it feeds me for two weeks. Like, the healthiest food is also the cheapest food. Um, but I, um, yeah, I guess the thing that I think this city does particularly is that it makes it very difficult for people to make good choices um it makes people makes it very difficult for people to make good transport choices you know everywhere you look you see cars in this city and the majority of the population don't have access to cars so they are made to feel like there's parts huge parts of the city the m8 for example that they cannot access that is not for them the way that that makes people feel like a failure i mean margaret thatcher said if you're still on a bus when you're 30 um then you should consider yourself a failure the scottish government and the Labour government before that have made that a reality because they have failed to re-regulate our buses 
and they have continued to invest in road building, which only benefits a privileged minority of people in this city and is causing a climate catastrophe. I know you'll explore this more in your uh, your talk on Sunday. The project's at an end now. Your year is at an end um, and it's back to the day job as an art lecturer at University of Dundee. But they withdrew their support for this project, didn't they? How did you feel about that? Um, I think that's interesting. You know, like this is another one of the contradictions that the project was founded on was that... I didn't need to apply for that funding. Like, for the last three or four years, I have been able to subsidise my art practice through teaching part-time, which is what I enjoy doing because it means I can contribute to young people's lives, help improving young people's lives, and also it means that I don't have to commodify my artwork or my activism. I mean, Bring Back British Rail campaign, the national campaign for for um, bringing our railways back into public ownership, is subsidised through my work at the University of Dundee. Um, you know, like, I'm interested in in, in uh, exploring, you know, who is actually paying for what in these, in these situations. Um, but, yeah, so they decided that they didn't want to support the project anymore. Um, but I, that, that was part of, 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 of kind of the, the web of... It's, it's perverse incentive structures, I think, is the way to describe it. What's that? It's, you know, I would, didn't need to get that money, but I had something in my contract saying that I had to submit significant research grant applications in order to keep my job. So it was, to me, it was illustrating a system where more privileged people are more likely to get opportunities and rewards. And I was one of them because I was in this more privileged role teaching at um, the art school, that I was more likely to be able to access this public funding. And that's wrong. But that the way things are rigged like that across the whole of society, I've explained it with public transport subsidies, but it's happening everywhere. You know, and the main crisis that we face in this city and around the world is inequality. But all of the... Um, incentive structures that we've got are just exacerbating that, just exacerbating it. So what next for you, Ellie? Would you uh, repeat a project like this again? (laughs) You know, uh, it is the phrase that was used in the um, original funding application is that it was an extreme lifestyle experiment. And a lot of people took the piss out of that by saying, you know, there are people for social economic reasons who don't need Glasgow. And I'm absolutely aware of that. Um, But it was an extreme lifestyle experiment. You know, there was absolutely no escape from the project because it was this year-long durational thing. Um, Even when I woke up in the night and I was... Um, fretting or worrying about my family who are all, as I've pointed out, in other parts of the country that I couldn't go to visit them. What if something happened to them? Like these horrible human fears. When that was happening, you know, that was all part of it. I mean, that was one step too far for me to bring my family into the, this this art project like that. I pushed it too far. I don't regret anything. I'm glad that I've got to the end of it. And What would have happened if somebody in the family had been taken ill? You would have had to go, wouldn't you? Well, thank God 
that didn't happen. Um, but that was a continual anxiety. And I, like I said, I pushed that too far. I should never have... That was, for me, the most unethical thing about the project was that I embroiled my family in it in that way and that, um, that thank, thank goodness it didn't happen, but it, it meant that really I was kind of on edge for the whole year. And in terms of the work-life balance, um, I actually only took 12 days off over the course of the whole year. What you did do is you took a year off social media, and I'm curious about that, because you're clearly very passionate and very eloquent about these things. Why didn't you take on your critics? Because you chose not to do that, not to engage with people across social media during the year. Why not? I don't agree with you at all. I mean, I have been posting regular updates on my Facebook page. You've been posting updates, but you've not been taking on your critics on this, and there have been plenty of them. I've been posting regular updates on my Facebook page. The thing about social media is, you know, and I use it a lot for all the campaigns that I run. I'm the admin of about 15 to 20 pages. So I'm not just pumping out um, instantaneous ego broadcasting, as I call it. I'm not just pumping out, like, banal facts about my lifestyle. I'm pumping out facts about the systems So why not that take we on have... your critics? Why not answer them? Because social media, you know, I'm just a tiny little... I'm just a two-dimensional photo. <laughs> and actually, the photo that I have on my Facebook page is from 2006. This is why everyone thought I was so young. It's from an artwork from 2006 that I made. It's more than 10 years old now. So everyone thought I was this, like, really young and experienced artist. It's because the photo was 10 years old. But, you know, I wasn't just about to change it just because people were taking the piss out of me. You know, I'm going to stick to my guns. Um, And I have been posting stuff out. I'm not going to spend my whole year, like, churning out banal nonsense, like, just to to be ridiculed. I'm not going to do that. Um, So if people wanted to access information, they could easily do that they could go on my facebook page they could join any of the campaigns that i'm involved in running um and they could you could get an insight into what i've been working on we're out of time ellie but what's next well what's next is the talk on sunday so i've got more work to do on that this afternoon and tomorrow uh, then i'll be back at work next week you're looking um, forward to it the old am, routine the nine to five i uh, i'm worried about getting back on a vehicle i mean it is even when i go on a lift now it freaks me out a bit so it is going to be nerve-wracking getting back on the train. But, you know, that lifestyle I had is, 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 is not sustainable. I've proved that through doing the project. But I'm looking forward to seeing my students again. I felt really bad for leaving them for a whole year. Some of them have kept in touch with me. So I'm looking forward to going back and, and uh, contributing to, to their education. I've got some bad news for you. Fears have gone up again. <laughs> You don't need to tell me. That's what happens when you take a year off. I was campaigning about it outside Central Station on Wednesday evening. We just launched a campaign for the public ownership of Scott Rail. Ellie Harrison, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Very interesting. Thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Your responses to what Ellie's had to say. It's 80295 on the text. 10.50 Friday morning, BBC Radio Scotland.